Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. And hello once again. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Space Nuts, the podcast, episode 177. My name is Andrew Dunkley. I'm your host. And with me, as always, is astronomer at large, Professor Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Hey, the host with the most. Uh, most <laughs> what? Most space between my ears, I think, would yeah, probably be appropriate. It. That's it. That's yes. it. Um, today, Fred, we've got a lot to discuss. We're going to talk about the mole stuck in a hole on Mars. Uh, we're going to look at um, a new image that confirms a dwarf planet, and this one might be the smallest one yet. And a few questions today, uh, one about white holes, one about looking through a telescope. Uh, it's actually an interesting question, uh, and we'll double up with another question uh, about the mass outside the universe. What could that be doing? And uh, an interesting fellow who spent some time down at Mawson Station in Antarctica uh, asking about gravitational waves, but he also sent us some amazing photos from down there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hopefully he's put them on the Space Nuts uh, fa Facebook podcast group. Space, yeah, that's it. I could never get that right. Um, and uh, and shared them with everyone because they are stunning. They are stunning pictures. But uh, let's get back to the mole in the hole, Fred. This is uh, a little bit of an issue with the InSight Mars lander. Um, one thing they've noticed is it's not doing what it's supposed to do entirely. <laughs> um, that's right. Part of it is not doing entirely what it's supposed to do. So re recall that InSight is a spacecraft uh, sitting, if I remember rightly, somewhere near the equator of Mars. It is um, uh, designed to probe Mars's interior. So it's not really looking at the surface particularly. It's not looking for signs of past life or anything like that. That will be the province of Mars 2020, which will be launched next year. Not surprising given the name. Um, InSight, though, is... Uh, a spacecraft that is equipped with so basically it's, it just sits on the surface it doesn't have wheels uh, it's a, a lander uh, based actually on phoenix the lander that uh, um, investigated the martian arctic back in 2008 if i remember rightly um, so it's insight is a lander which is equipped with two printable instruments one is a very accurate and very sensitive seismometer so it's listening for Mars quakes, and that side of things have been very successful. And you and I have actually spoken about that uh, not in the not-too-distant past, the fact that something like, I think it's uh, well over 100 quakes have been, um, have been registered, mm. uh, of which I think only a percentage are 
are genuine Mars quakes. Uh, some of them are caused by the wind and things like that. Here we are, 150 events de detected to date, 23 of which have been confirmed as Mars quakes. Wow. Um, and and the, the Mars quakes are of great interest because you can analyze those and work out what it's come from. Uh, but the other side of uh, Insight's armory of instruments, or the other facet of that, is uh, a device which rejoices in the name of HP3. Uh, now, HP3 <laughs> uh, is an acronym. Uh, it's not easy to pronounce, but it's HP3, and it stands for the Heat Flow and Physical Properties Package, and that's where the three comes from, Physical Properties Package. I thought it was hard to put in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> quite so, quite so. Oh, you, you should be on the radio, Andrew. You know, oh, a bit like that. You should be. Well, you should be somewhere else anyway. Yes, probably. <laughs> H My wife says that all the time. Can you be somewhere else? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, I won't make any suggestions as to where you might be. Uh, but the heat flow and physical properties package. It was actually, um, it's from the, the German Aerospace uh, Center. Uh, so it's a, because Insight is a multinational facet. So HP3 is the one that is in the news. And that is because, uh, as its name implies, heat flow and physical properties package. The main, one of the main uh, functions of this device, HP3, is to measure the heat coming from Mars's interior. Ah. And in order to do that, uh, you, you don't want to just dump a thermometer on the surface because the surface is affected by radiation from the sun and by, you know, um, lo essentially local environmental effects. Mm. So the idea with InSight was that the uh, heat probe itself, the HP3, um, was equipped with or is equipped with a thing that is called the mole. And the mole is essentially a device that digs its way into the soil and uh, and goes down, actually, uh, up to th five metres was the original plan uh, to get this heat probe well under the surface of Mars. So what you're feeling is the effect of, principally, you're measuring the effect of heat uh, coming up from the interior. You can you can sort of compensate for, for what comes down from the surface. Because you don't have to go down far into the earth to feel the heat. No, that's uh, right. Uh, that's... I've been down one of the mines out west here. Um, I went down somewhere like 370 metres, and it was like 50 degrees down there. Yes. It yeah, was well, that's stinking third, hot. third of a kilometre, that's right. You're, yeah. you're, you know, until you're detecting... Uh, kind of tens of, of uh, degrees of increased heat. Uh, on Mars, this sensitive thermometer, as it is, basically can, can measure very much more minute differences in temperature. So, yes, it's able to detect the heat coming from Mars's interior, or it would be if it could be put in the right place, because this mole device, uh, which is supposed to take it down to five metres, it's kind of self-hammering thing. Um, it, 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 it's got probably got a mass inside it that, that is banged against the end and then retracts within the mole. It's, it's a cylindrical device, kind of pile vaguely, driver type of thing. It's like a baby pile driver. That's yeah. right. But um, it's after they started digging it down into the surface um, several months ago now, actually, uh, it got stuck. 
it went down about 30 centimetres, which is not five metres, uh, and then stopped. And so the question that arose was what's stopping it? And one possibility was a rock. Uh, and but another one, which seems to be the more likely, uh, the more likely, um, uh, basically the, the cause of this problem, more likely cause, is that uh, the the mole itself has lost friction with the dirt around it, so it seems to need, um, you know, as it bangs its way down. It seems to need a certain amount of friction between the outside of the mole and the surrounding dirt itself, and uh, that has not happened. Apparently, the oh. thinking is that that uh, the interaction with the Martian soil has been <clears throat> unexpectedly poor. Uh, I, I've but, seen I've seen the soil described scientifically as weird. Yes, weird is the technical term for the soil of Mars. It's got um, weird properties. I think it's the, you know, the fact that it is a very fine dust. We know that you get these dust storms on Mars. It's very, very dry. There's virtually no moisture in it at all. And moisture, of course, helps with uh, packing soil around things. So um, that has been the thinking. So what they did was they, uh, they lent on it with the uh, with the, the, the sort of digger arm that uh, and it's not really a digger arm it's uh, it's got a technical name uh, which is eluding me at the moment uh, spade <laughs> what is it the, the the device that it's it's basically it's, yes Bucket. it's a robotic arm that's what it's called it's a robotic arm <laughs> it looks like a spade <laughs> yeah um, it does, but it's not meant for digging. That's the thing. The one on Phoenix was. It's the same device. Uh, Phoenix had a kind of backhoe arm that was used to scrape away the surface soil, and that's how we know that there's a permafrost of water ice in the, in the Martian Arctic. Mm. Uh, I don't believe uh, the robotic arm, to give it its technical term, on InSight has a digger on the end of it. But what they did was basically they put the robotic arm on uh, to kind of give the, uh, you know, give the mole a push downwards then took it away and what happened was the mole popped out <laughs> it didn't stay down it's kind of popped out of its hole and that's not what the desired effect was they wanted it to go down we're and starting, then uh, we're starting to hear a lens cap scenario here for yes it's a bit like that it's not popped all the way out it's come out about halfway uh, out of its <laughs> what can, they, call can it. they try a different spot um, I, I, I'm not sure. I would guess they can because yeah. that's probably what the robotic arm is for. But you would think they'd or they would have already tried that. Um, well, I, I'm looking at um, some some photos that they've taken of of the operation. I think I, I've figured out the issue. I, I think I might write them an email. You should some, do. Somebody's drawn a circle with a cross in it, which I I envisage is a target, yeah. and they missed. <laughs> that's what I reckon's happened here. But yes, I don't know that whether a circle with a cross on it and one bit of Martian soil is any different from a circle with a cross on it on another bit of Martian soil. I don't soil. know. I built a house on a piece of land that looked perfectly normal until we started finding giant chunks of sandstone. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> so, and it could, you know, it's still possible it could be something like that. But they've just been unlucky, and they've come up against a, a big lump of rock. Um, uh, uh, under you know, foot underneath the soil. I guarantee so. you that rock is not under the circle with the cross in it. 
<laughs> I don't know how they did that, but somebody snuck on the surface and drawn that there and said, we should put it in here. And so the scientists have gone, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. not at all. That's I actually I think, think the, happened. the circle with a cross in it, I think is is uh, probably the end of the, the robotic arm. Gosh, uh, there you this... go again, not letting the truth, letting the truth get in the way of a good story once again. Yeah, Gosh. well... Anyway, anyway, they're still trying to fix it is what I gather. Yeah, and um, I should send NASA an email, Andrew. They'll probably um, be very happy about that. Yeah, I think they listen to us. So the the message has been delivered. (laughs) I'm sure they listen to us. (laughs) I hope they don't. (laughs) We should lift our game if NASA are listening. Uh, (laughs) uh, Comic relief, I think. would. (laughs) That's what they they get out of us. Comic relief. So we, we will wait with bated breath and hope that they can solve this problem because uh, it would be really fascinating and um, beneficial to find out what's going on down there. Yeah, it would. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Uh, let's keep an eye on that one. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with the great Fred Watson. Now let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, Do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, Now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, So protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Okay, we checked all four systems and being with a go. Space Nuts. Uh, and thank you again to our patrons who are signing up in, well, 
you know, ones, at, at patreon.com to support our podcast. Uh, if you would like to do that, uh, become a member of the Space Nuts um, Patreon group. You can do that at patreon.com slash space nuts. You can sign up for uh, an, an amount of your choosing. Uh, and uh, listen to, um, well, you get special advanced screenings of Space Nuts too, by the way, uh, but also uh, other benefits on uh, on the agenda in the not-too-distant future. I mean, we're probably talking millennia here, but anyway, uh, if you'd like to um, join us via Patreon, patreon.com slash Space Nuts is the place to do that, and we thank the patrons who have already done so at whatever level. We really appreciate your support. It is fantastic. I bought a chuppa chup with my share. Now, um, Fred, we are going to um, talk about a, a, a dwarf planet. We've known about it for a while, but now they've managed to secure an image of this um, bonker-sized uh, spheroid uh, and confirm that it is probably the smallest dwarf planet found so far. I should qualify that by explaining what a bonker is. When I was growing up, you played marbles and the big one was called a bonker. I, I'm pretty sure they call it something else in other countries, but we called it a bonker. I don't know where that came from. And these days that kind of doesn't fit in with social acceptance. But anyway. It doesn't. Where I grew up, Andrew, they, we called the big ones the bollies. The bollies. It's a it's a bolly, yeah. A bolly, yeah. So a bolly is slightly more politically correct than a bonker, I think. I it's not, I think not, so. not much to choose between them, really. <laughs> These days, yeah. I never I never played for keeps when I played because I, I I liked my marbles. I didn't want anyone yeah. taking them from me. Absolutely. Um, I, I tended to avoid those games. Uh, but yeah, we're we're looking uh, at some work that's been done through the very large telescope, and uh, they have discovered. Um, well, they haven't discovered this dwarf planet, but they have probably confirmed that it is indeed a dwarf planet. Because I suppose they've been trying to figure that out for a little while. That's right. Uh, it's. I think this is a really nice story, and what it highlights is the capabilities of. The very large telescope, uh, which you'll remember is actually not one but four telescopes, each with an 8.2 metre diameter mirror sitting on a mountain in Chile called Cerro Paranal, uh, operated by um, the European Southern Observatory. And it, they, they are, you know, if not the, certainly among the finest uh, equipped telescopes in the world, certainly uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. So the uh, VLT, one of them, one of those four telescopes, is equipped with an instrument called Sphere. Uh, and uh, Sphere is a relatively new instrument, specifically designed for looking uh, in detail at th things a long way away. <laughs> um, you know, in other words, uh, doing fine re resolution imaging. Um, uh, so uh, SPHERE is actually an acronym, uh, as you might expect, and the acronym kind of tells you what it's for. It stands for Spectropolarimetric High Contrast Exoplanet Research. They're just making that up. Of course they are. That's what you do with acronyms. You, you think of a nice word and then fit, <laughs> fit your other words to it. <laughs> I used to do it myself. Oh, dear. I used to build instruments. What does spectropolarimetric mean? It means you're looking at the polarisation of the light coming from uh, the target object. And polarisation is something we're familiar with if you use polarising sunglasses. You, you eliminate um, some of the vibrations 
that that the um, you know the light waves themselves uh, participate in. So you're eliminating half of that, uh, and it actually is a very powerful tool in astronomy. Polarization uh, can tell you about dust in space. It can tell you about the way light has been affected by its passage through uh, other media, uh, and you know. It's a it's a generally useful thing. This in this case it's combined combined with spectroscopy, which is the breaking up of the light into its rainbow colours. So spectropolarimetric is a very uh, you know a very capable analytical tool. But the main thing about sphere is that it's used in conjunction with what are called adaptive optics. And adaptive optics use flexible mirror technology coupled with some very sensitive devices. Uh, in order to eliminate uh, the, uh, the the the, the uh, distorting effect of the Earth's atmosphere, as as light comes through the Earth's atmosphere, it's affected by pockets of hotter and warmer and colder air, and that basically blurs the image. But with clever technology, you can actually sense that distortion, and a little bit like you sense the ambient noise in a pair of uh, noise-cancelling headphones. You sense the ambient noise and then put an inverse signal in that can cancels it out. It's very much the same sort of thing, but you're doing it with light. Mm. Uh, and adaptive optics technology basically removes to a large extent, not completely, but to a large extent, it, it removes the uh, distorting effects of the Earth's atmosphere. So you can get very sharp imaging. In fact, you can make it comparable with the Hubble Space Telescope, which is above the atmosphere altogether. Uh, I have to say the uh, the ground-based telescopes like the VLT are very much cheaper to run than a space telescope. Okay, so that's the backstory. Um, but Especially sphere, if you can put it on the top of a mountain that exceeds, um, you know, someone's ability to breathe properly. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually. Um, Sarah Paranal is not quite that high. It's, oh, okay. uh, if I remember rightly, it's about three thousand, three thousand meters, which is. Um, a lot more amenable than the 4,200 metres, which is uh, at Mauna Kea, where, the, okay. where another suite of telescopes are in Hawaii. You and I have both been there. Hmm. Um, I bet you haven't been to Paranal, though. I have. No, <laughs> have not. Um, yes, sorry, that's just a bit of bragging there. The, um, the So, OK, uh, ESO astronomers, and in particular, I think uh, it's a group, if I remember rightly, it is from the Laboratoire d'Astrophysique de Marseille, which is in France, if you can decipher my horrible French accent. Um, it's uh, researchers based there who have used this instrument to, to look at one of the asteroids in the asteroid belt, the, the main belt of asteroids between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. And they found... Uh, that one of them, the fourth biggest of the asteroids, whose name is Hygeia, or Hygeia, I suppose it should be, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. It looks like Hygeia. That's what I thought it said. Hygeia is probably how it's pronounced. Depends on whether you lengthen your Y's or not in, in ancient Greek. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, the bottom line is, this thing is round. It's a, more or less a, a, a spherical shape, not a perfect sphere, but very close to it. And uh, for an object like Hygeia, uh, a for it to be spherical means that it qualifies as being a dwarf planet because one of the uh, requirements for an object to be a dwarf planet is that it is... A uh, well, it's being pulled into a spherical shape by its own gravity. Right. 
Um, the technical term is differentiated. It means that the you know the inside stuff has been uh, gradate, uh, graduated, if I can put it that way, by gravity, and what you end up with is is a sphere. Uh, and so, and it is when you look at the images that we've seen from ESO, the European Southern Observatory, there's this very distinctly round-looking object. Uh, so uh, it will be the International Astronomical Union, that uh, august body, uh, sometimes known as the Uber Nerds, uh, because they, <laughs> above all the rest of us nerds, um, they will look at the evidence for uh, Hygea being a uh, being a, a dwarf planet, and they'll they'll take a vote on it. Uh, and once they've done that, we might have an announcement that says here is. Uh, the smallest of all the dwarf planets in the solar system because it's only 450 kilometres in diameter. Uh, I beg your pardon, about 30, 430 kilometres. Yeah, it's that's not as, big at all, is it really? As we speak. It's not big at all. No, that's right. And it's very near the limit below which things don't have enough gravity to make themselves spherical. Mm. Um, so it's a threshold object. Oh, that's a very nice way of putting it. It is. It's um, the, There are moons of some of the outer planets, uh, particularly I'm thinking of moons of Saturn, uh, which we know very well thanks to the Cassini mission. Uh, some of those moons are um, uh, actually spherical, and they're not that much bigger than Hygeia is. But I think the asteroid counts, certainly because it's in orbit around the sun rather than being in orbit around another another object. Uh, it is a planet, um, but a dwarf planet because of its uh, its small size. Actually, I suppose finding all these objects and confirming them as dwarf planets um, does, in fact, uh, justify the decision to put Pluto in that category. When we thought for so long that it was the only one, now we know yeah. that that's not the case. Exactly. That's right. I I agree with what you've said wholeheartedly. Not everybody does. Um, many people think Pluto is a special case. But if you make it a special case, then where do you draw the line? Yes, you know? precisely. Uh, the other weird thing about uh, Hygeia is that it is seemingly unblemished. Yes, that's right. Everybody expected it would be, uh, you know, would have big craters on it because there's a thinking that it was once probably uh, involved in a collision with uh, with other objects, and that's because we think there's debris from that collision still in the asteroid belt. But no, it's um, it's got a few vague-looking markings on it, but it's not pockmarked by. Uh, you know, huge craters, which some of the moons of, for example, one of the moons of Saturn has, it looks like the Death Star because you've got this enormous crater on one side. Yes. And and likewise, um, uh, Phobos, which is the bigger moon of Mars, that's got a, a big crater in it too. I think one of those strange markings on Hygeia is a circle with a cross in it, Fred. <laughs> Gosh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, I can see a face in it too, so yeah. work that one out. All right. So almost certainly a dwarf planet, but yet to be ratified by the um, by the astronomical union. So we'll wait until that happens. They'll send a memo, I'm sure. They, they will probably to you and I. Yes, we personally signed. Same. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Three, two, one. Space Nuts.
And before we get on to some questions, Fred, I have got to send out a special thank you to Matt Sayers. Matt is a, um, a, a Facebook influencer. Actually, I, I, I um, must say that he's a YouTube influencer, but he's also part of the Space Nuts podcast group. And he's been listening to us for a little while. He's got his own YouTube channel, and he did us a wonderful service the other day by giving us a huge plug on his Facebook channel, encouraging people to listen. So if you are listening to us for the first time, courtesy of Matt... Uh, thank you for that, and thank you to Matt for uh, giving us such a great endorsement. Really appreciate it. It's uh, it's lovely. And uh, it saw our um, YouTube channel numbers jump um, significantly, so we're well on our way to hitting the 1,000. So if you would like to follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our, um, our channel, you can do that at youtube.com slash c slash space nuts and subscribe there and you can listen to all our back editions of space nuts right up to the latest version you can even just hit the play all button and listen to them to your heart's content i'm sure that'll be something your wife or husband will be thrilled with even make the kids do it. They might even learn something. Not from me, but they might. Uh, now, Fred, let's um, tackle some questions. We've got a few to get through today. And this one comes from Josh, who is in Margaret River in Western Australia. What a beautiful part of the world. That's what that's wine-growing territory, is it not, Margaret River? Oh, it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, he says, excuse me if this has been answered in an episode I'm yet to get to. I think it has, Josh, but... We want to revisit it because of your question. If black holes were to be a portal to a multi-universe or even another galaxy, could a white hole be on the other side of that, given that matter can only escape it? Uh, could matter falling into a black hole then being emitted out of the other side from a white hole, possibly causing other big bangs? Or is this notion total science fiction? Uh, hope you get to um, uh, cover this. Uh, if it has already been covered, blah, blah, sorry. No, it's okay, Josh. We, we're going to tackle this one. Well, Fred is. I'm just going to sit here and giggle. <laughs> so let's go to the last question first. Uh, is this notion total science fiction? And the answer is it's not in the sense that um, when you look at the equations of general relativity, which are what ba form the basis of our understanding of black holes, uh, you can reverse some of the signs and what you get is a white hole uh, so material is not being sucked into it it's being shot out mm. however that might be the case but uh, we've never seen anything in observational astronomy that could qualify for a white hole and we've certainly seen plenty of evidence that black holes exist so uh the idea of you know white holes black holes a black hole white hole combination being a portal to another universe or to a multiple universe that's a very common one and it's one that is beloved of science fiction writers it's usually called a wormhole uh, and whilst the mathematics let you uh, allow for that and 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 you know there's nothing in the mathematics that forbids it we've never observed it uh, and that probably means that they don't exist. So there must be something in the physics of the universe that actually stops it happening. Uh, and that might point to inadequacies in our understanding of gravity and our understanding of relativity, mm -hmm. which is a good thing because as soon as we find a hole in that, that means 
well, to mix the metaphor, All bits are we, can, off. we can jump down it. Yeah, it means that there might be new physics. That's that's the bottom line. Okay, there you go, Josh. Um, no, but yes, or yes, but no, <laughs> as the case may be. It's just all black and white, really. Oh, um, dear. Gosh, why do I have to put up with this? Because <laughs> <laughs> no, we pay you the big bucks, Fred. That's why. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's you did. it, isn't it? Uh, next question. We have received this one from Jared Van Royen. Uh, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And we're not sure where you're from. So we're going to say you're from Earth. Uh, he says, hello, Mr. Dunkley and Dr. Watson. Um, I've always wanted to be able to say this. Jared, that's my father's name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I have been listening to you guys for a few months now. And now he's going to stop. And I love it. Uh, I'm a college student studying astronomy, and I have some thoughts to maybe talk about. Firstly, I'd love to hear from you about what should be expected when looking through a standard telescope and what your recommendation would be for new enthusiasts. Second, I'd like to ask a question uh, I had uh, thought of recently. What if outside of the universe we know there are huge amounts of mass surrounding us and the gravity of this mass is what is increasing the speed of our universe's expansion? I don't know if that stands scientifically speaking, but I am curious. Thanks, Jared. Hmm. Well, okay, where do you want to start? Telescopes well, let's do or the telescopes. mass so, of the universe? <laughs> sorry, gone. I missed that. Uh, do, do, just which way do you want to start? Telescope or mass of the universe? I'd go with the second one. It's the easy one. <laughs> but the first leads to the second. So. Okay, well, we'll go that way. <laughs> Seeing you've written a book about telescopes, only fair that you should answer this one. I'll sit back. I, I do like telescopes. There's no doubt about it. I've been fascinated by telescopes ever since I was a, ever since I was a young lad, a hundred years ago. But um, the thing that uh, uh, you know that really characterises uh, the era in which we live is that telescopes are relatively cheap. They certainly weren't when I was growing up. If you wanted to be take an interest in astronomy and use a telescope, you had to build it first, unless you were very rich indeed. Well, our, our podcast group people had a recent little sort of tete-a-tete with each other over over telescopes. I'm sure they were all comparing, you know, their comparing equipment. Yeah. Think, As you do. I think but, a young lady won that competition. Okay. That's good to hear because um, that there's a lot of, you know, it, astronomy is a, is a, a gender non-specific hobby. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and telescopes, uh, as I said, you can get fantastic telescopes now for a really relatively uh, low price. And in fact, um, you know, $100 would buy you a, a, a telescope that I would have loved to have had when I was uh, a lad at school. But it, in, in many ways, it's the sky's the limit. You can you can. I think even with the most, you know, even with a hundred dollar telescope, you would still be able to see things like some of the rings of the rings of Saturn and some of the moons of Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, as you progress through the price range, um, and really what you get is what you pay for, uh, then you get to telescopes that are on mountings that will allow you to take deep sky photographs if you've got the right kind of equipment you can you know you can spend 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 on astronomy um it's really depends on just what your what what, what your resources are like and I, I actually have always 
been um, a great enthusiast for, for beginners to, to buy a pair of binoculars because not only can you get lovely views of the moon and on dark nights when there's no moon in the sky and if you're away from city lights you get beautiful views of things like star clusters in the Milky Way that sort of thing they show up really well in binoculars mm. and, uh, and plus people, the fact- people have actually published even on our um, podcast group page photos they've taken with a digital camera through their telescopes and they are they've come up with some great stuff yeah they would be they'd be brilliant so what i was going to say about binoculars is you can also use them during the day you know they're they're handy instruments as well as being an astronomical tool but a telescope is what most people want and by that usually they mean one that's mounted on a stand and often the stand is actually what what differentiates between a good one and a bad one because there's nothing more frustrating than having a telescope on a flimsy stand that's vibrating all over the place. You're trying to look through it and find an object, and it, it uh, is not the easiest thing in the world. So uh, the, the quick answer is you get what you pay for, but there's plenty there. Lots of websites giving you comparative you know, uh, uh, assessments of different telescopes, usually run by commercial organizations, but most of these organizations... Uh, and I won't name any because I don't know where Jared's from. Uh, those organisations are not so much out to make a fast buck as to get people in, interested in the hobby. They're usually run by the, the, the telescope shops are usually run by people who are also amateur astronomers. So they know a lot about it and they're keen to engage people and, and, and let them see what a marvellous hobby astronomy is. Quickly moving on to the question about uh whether surrounding us yeah whether our universe if there is such a thing as a multiverse and we really don't need the answer to that multiple universes could the gravity gravitation of an outside universe be affecting our own and that's not a daft question Um, there are people who think about things like that Um, one of them whose name i've mentioned i think many times before is uh and i've forgotten it now so it doesn't matter (laughs) it'll come to me in a minute um a very great mathematician who postulates the idea that um uh, one universe eventually generates another one via the mechanism of black holes um it's very embarrassing that his, his name was on the tip of my tongue a minute ago and now it's gone but that's what happens when you get to be 150 years old yes um, yes and, so and always happens while recording a podcast a podcast that's out. right um but the the point i wanted to make about this is um gravity so four fundamental forces of nature gravity is the weakest and it's not just the weakest by you know a little bit it's uh, it's, let me try and remember it. It's something of the order of ten to the eighteen times weaker than the than the other uh, fundamental forces, and so um, there is something about it that's very different. And some people suggest that that's because perhaps gravity leaks out of our universe into other universes. And if that's the case, then you might expect there to be an imprint. Uh, from other universes on our universe. And the place to look for that is the cosmic microwave background radiation, the flash of the Big Bang, uh, which itself is um, is mottled with slightly warmer and cooler temperature changes, uh, and so... Um, which are essentially caused by sound waves in the in the uh, flash of the Big Bang. Um, that might be where you might find evidence of the gravity of another universe impacting on ours. It's unlikely, however, to cause 
the uh, the acceleration of the expanding universe because I think that is too great to be basically the reason for it. Mm, okay. Very good. Uh, Jared, as a, an astronomy student, you get an A-plus for asking those questions because they were thought-provoking. Well done. Let's move on to the next question, and it comes from uh, Michael Brill. Now, Michael has sent us a stunning photograph that he took while at uh, Mawson Station. Now, Mawson Station's in Antarctica. It's a research station. Uh, people spend, um, well, probably... At six months down there in rotation uh, going backwards and forwards I know a couple of people who've, who've done it over the years um, and the, the only real way to get there is by, by ship uh, it's very isolated and uh, there was a famous case of a, a, a researcher there who um, uh, got ill and had to treat herself uh, by satellite phone to the doctors um, some years ago which made the news it's that isolated and uh, quite an amazing place uh, so thanks for the photo Michael I do hope you put it on the Space Nuts podcast group on Facebook because I think people would love to see it. Uh, but he said, hi, guys. Uh, firstly, I'm a first-time long-time. So first-time question, long-time listener, I assume that means. Spend all of last year at Mawson Station listening to your podcast. Wasn't there anything else to do? Um, the trip was so good, in fact, I'm heading down again. My question is in regards to gravitational waves. My understanding is they stretch the fabric of time whilst not inter interacting uh, with pretty much anything else. So can they interact with each other? For example, if two waves converged or intersected uh, each other, would the disturbance of time change? Uh, I hope that made sense. And, uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. In my new book, <laughs> science fiction book that I'm writing at the moment, we do actually have multiple gravitational wave effects. So, yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, you can answer this one. No, then. I have no idea. <laughs> I just make that stuff up as I go along, as most science fiction writers do. Yeah, indeed, yes. Some scientists do as well. <laughs> um, l let me just backtrack for five minutes because I remembered the name of the person whose name was on the tip of my tongue. It's uh, Sir Roger Penrose, of course, oh, is the person right. who's thought about the imprint of external universes. Is he British? On yes, British cosmologist. I yeah. kind of figured with a name like that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. Okay, the answer to this question is I don't know. Um, oh. and. I am really interested to know what is the consequence of gravitational waves interacting with one another. Because um, in the study of light, and maybe light is perhaps the bit of physics that I understand best, because that was what I did as my special topic for many, many years, um, when waves come together, they interfere with one another. And in fact, you can get the result where light waves actually cancel each other out if they are out of phase, so that peak of one uh, corresponds with the trough of another, and suddenly they aren't there. Like radio that, signals cancelling each other. Yes, indeed, just just like radio signals do. Mm. And I, I'm 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 not enough of a gravitational wave specialist to know whether that is possible. Of uh, for gravitational waves to do that. I do, however, know people who are gravitational wave specialists, and I'm going to go and ask them. There we are. <laughs> because, uh, I'll catch up with one of my colleagues who uh, knows about this sort of thing. I'll see him on Thursday at some uh, meetings that I'll be at, and I would like to talk to him about exactly this topic, the interference of gravitational waves. I think it's a very, very interesting question. And so, Maybe we can follow it up next week. 
Yeah, so Michael, um, hold on and we'll we'll try and follow up on that. I think it's a really interesting question. Very good. Thank you, Michael. Much appreciated. Uh, and thank you to everybody. I, I must say, uh, Fred, in scrolling through uh, the podcast group, I noticed uh, a couple of people have put posts on um, directly pointing at you, your recent appearance on the drum. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, there's also a uh, another photograph, if I scroll down far enough, of um, the Sherbet Life album cover which we talked about last week yeah we did yeah uh, my favorite band growing up was sherbet um I, re- I went and saw them once and there's a photo of you with a uh, space nut by the name of carrie brown and i must uh, send a special hello out to carrie because she's an uber fan and, uh, <laughs> especially an uber fan of yours i think and uh, so um, yeah lovely to see so uh, look that that facebook page is just going gangbusters and it's great to see everybody interacting it's not just about listening to us um, you know, yabber on every week. It's it's all about talking to each other too and learning from each other and sharing each other's photographs and experiences in astronomy. And uh, I think it's fantastic that, uh, that, that everyone's doing that. And uh, I think there's well over 500 people in that group now, Fred. So that's <laughs> so, fantastic, yes. isn't it? Maybe they should include me, Andrew. If you want to send me Facebook 101, I might try and find out how to do it. It's not that difficult, but once you're <laughs> into it, it's very addictive, I think would be oh, fair I don't to want say. To do that. We've got enough addictions without Facebook. Yes. But uh, thank you, Fred, as always. It's a great pleasure and, um, yeah, a lot of fun. Sounds good. And I hope we'll speak again soon. I hope so too because we've got to do a follow-up on one of your questions. So, yeah, we'll we we get back together next week. We'll see you then. Yeah, all right. Sounds great. And before I go, a reminder that if you want to uh, go to the Space Nuts shop, I can't believe we've got one. Uh, There are a whole heap of books available, Cosmic Chronicles by Fred Watson, Parallax by not Fred Watson, and uh, a few other books there, and T-shirts. We're we're selling T-shirts by by twos, Uh, but they're there as well. So uh, pop along to uh, bites, B-I-T-E-S-Z dot com slash Space Nuts. You can listen to episodes there as well as... um, uh, check out the array of product available and our sponsor, of course, ExpressVPN. We thank them for getting on board as well. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you again next week for another edition of Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.